I've been listening uh, to both of you guys and actually I've, I've been enjoying it uh, quite a lot. I was telling Carlos the other week, it, it's an interesting, enjoyable conversation, you know? It's not like you're jumping into another meeting and you have to be um, so formal and professional about anything. It, it's real. So, that's, you know, like... Yeah, no one's going to accuse us of being formal and professional. That's yeah, for sure. Right. That's Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Offsite podcast, where we chat all things construction and technology. My name's Carlos Cavallo. And I'm Jason Lanzini. Carlos, how are you today? Not too bad, thanks. Uh, pushing through the old uh, pain of recovery. I see you're sporting a fashionable, you're sporting a fashionable new swing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, for anyone, for a bit of context, I managed to tear the socket off of my shoulder in a, uh, a challenge of football. So they've drilled a bunch of holes into the bone and anchored the socket back in. So a um, bit of a savage recovery, but uh, I'll smile through it, that's for sure. Do you want to explain what you were doing? Were you going for a uh, best uh, like bicycle kick or what was it? <laughs> you like, is it something you shouldn't be doing at your advanced age? Now, I, I wish it was a bicycle kick. Um, no, I went up for a simple header and as I jumped, someone else sort of aggressively jumped through the back of my arm, which popped it out forward. So uh, I put on a brave face and walked off because oh, most people think you're being dramatic in football if you roll around on the floor crying. So I just <laughs> got on with it uh, and I got an MRI to tell me that it actually wasn't okay. But uh, that's all good. Well, being a QS, you know exactly who to, to sue for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, today we've got a guest on the show. Um, he is one of the most sort of prominent voices within the GIS space. Um, he's also head of GIS at a contractor we know very well, which is Skanska. I'm surprised he's got enough time to join us considering how many panels he seems to be on at every event across the country each week. Um, welcome to the show, George. How are you? Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Jason um, and Carlos. Thank you. Good morning, I'm George. What a nice introduction. Now I have to, to update my LinkedIn bio with this introduction, Carlos, and I will quote you underneath. But it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> that's fine. You've got loads of followers. If you want a video of me as your LinkedIn bio, that's absolutely fine. I was doing, with every guest that comes on the show, I always double check their LinkedIn page to have a bit of a stalk. Obviously, we've known each other a little while, but I always have a check. I had yes. no idea you're doing a PhD at the moment. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing journey, uh, Carlos. Like I said, so um, I'm doing it part time at University College London, and uh, I've always found research quite exciting. And I know this can be quite a boring uh, conversational topic, but for me, research is you know about solving a puzzle, you know, or a problem that you don't know the answer to the first place, which is very much like construction most of the times. So if, if you start exercising skills about um, problem solving um, and hopefully have some fun while you're doing it, I think it's, a, it's an amazing and valuable skill set to have throughout your entire life. So that's one of my motivations behind my PhD. And of course, it's very closely linked to, to, to what I do on a day-to-day -day basis around GIS and building information modeling and asset management. Uh, so, you know, it's a topic that is really interesting to me and my only suggestion is if someone would like to do it, by all means, it's very rewarding. 
it can be challenging. Just make sure you you do it because you're really passionate about the topic. Otherwise, it becomes really, really challenging. Nice. Yeah, it's really impressive. Uh, and best of luck with it. Keen to see how that gets on. No, thank you so much. <laughs> to, to kick off, keen to get, I guess, your sort of, it's quite a broad question, but what, is, what are GIS systems and why do contractors use them? I really like this, this, this question, Carlos, and I'll start with the, my uh, own view, which is very much around the need of separating data from technology, and we see this becoming harder and harder nowadays. So uh, GIS definitely is interpreted as a GIS system, which can be a proprietary software or an open source software, but it's also founded on um, the management of geospatial or location data, as I'd like to call it. So I would like, firstly, you know, to start with uh, why is location data valuable for a construction business, right? And, and the answer to that is because everything that we are materially concerned with as a contractor business has a location reference. And a lot of the times, all the different, you know, data streams and information that is being part, that becomes part of a construction project is coming from different data sources, right? We can think where the program sits, uh, where the risk register is, where the design information, construction data from on-site operations, um, and so on and so forth. And, you know, as the ability to collect more and more data becomes cheaper and also much easier, there needs to be a way to make this, access, this data accessible, to maximize their value out of their collection, drive insights, analysis, and all this kind of good stuff we're talking about. So what location really does into the data is brings them together. I, I consider it to be like an integrator catalyst, if you'd like, which is able to pull all these different disparate data sources and bring them in a single place. And then what you're having on top of it, once your data is, let's say, location intelligent, then you can start utilizing GIS systems. Uh, then you can start um, mapping, uh, doing, you know, um, mapping analysis and visualization analysis and geospatial analysis and start producing advanced analytics and insights. But at the core of that is the, the quality of, of your location and geospatial data that the GIS system can um, uh, process and and add value to, to all stakeholders. So I'd say one of the most prominent uses of, of GIS is the ability to almost be data agnostic, uh, including software agnostic, regardless of which type of GIS system you're having, simply because of the ability to incorporate thousands and thousands of drawings in a single page, start doing some clever things and presenting this information back to, to stakeholders, also in real time, which is very uh, important for construction operations. So yeah, I'd say this is one of my, of our biggest use cases and applications of, of GIS in, in construction. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense to, like, there's so much information and data in construction to have that visual way to actually like digest and, and use it in a more meaningful way uh, makes a ton of sense. Contractors have varied, let's say, just say use of, GIS systems, right? We we mm -hmm. we speak to a lot of contractors, and there's a big sort of spectrum. Skanska are at the the top end of that spectrum, from what I've observed. There seems to be a big focus on GIS, and there is like quite a big team that are quite sort of apparent within the industry. Is Skanska's push 
because of like uh, the business understands the value of these systems that are pushing it? Or is it more like client driven by nature? I think that as 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 an, an industry in general, Carlos, we are all on the journey of this digital transformation, right? And and being location data driven or GIS driven is part of this digital transformation journey. Um, di- and different contractors, I suppose, may have what we say, what we call in clients, right? Um, uh, GIS to special levels of maturity, which is an informal term that I like to use to understand where we are in context of, of the wider industry. Um, so I'd say everyone is is on this journey. Some some companies might be uh, more advanced. Some clients might be uh, a bit more advanced or a little bit behind. Um, as Kanska, I would say that um, we are always looking to push the boundaries. We are always looking to deliver better, uh, faster, more sustainable nowadays products for our clients. Uh, we're always eager to work together with our clients to make sure that they are maximizing the value out of collected data. I have a, I have a, a strong biased view. I have to admit that, that in, in the future, our clients will be more interested about uh, the data that represent the asset digitally rather than the physical asset itself, right? But but this needs to start early on. If you're wait, if you if you start thinking about this when you're operating and maintaining your asset, it's already uh, too late. So you you need to start thinking about your O and M requirements from very very early on. And you know, as Skanska as a tier one contractor, that we're almost the conduit between what is being designed, what is being maintained. Essentially, we're building. Uh, or our supply chain uh, is, is is building the asset. Um, we become custodians of of data that have a lot of value for our clients. So we need to be in a position where we give them the opportunity to use GIS, to use other digital solution systems together, integrated to to operate and manage their assets better. So I'd say it's 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 a bit of a mix, but we're always uh, trying to do things better. Yeah. It definitely doesn't feel like a system you can sort of introduce halfway through a scheme as a bit of a, like a reaction to a requirement. Uh, it needs to be like implemented early and, and adopted in the right way. I guess one final question before I let Jason jump in. Um, is, is GIS something that Skanska sort of apply and use on their projects because it improves their offering and how they deliver projects? Or is it typically clients saying GIS is a requirement for this particular contract? And then you you go from that point, or is it? Are you making that decision as the contractor? It's a bit of both. Nowadays, GIS is becoming is a requirement, is a client requirement, uh, Carlos. But I have a question of, for us to discuss perhaps further down the line. But how well do you think construction projects w- w- would respond to digital uh, requirements? So a lot of times, you know, part of the digital transformation, and, and that's my view is. When you're trying to impose something, simply because it is a requirement, it's not going to go down well. Because digital transformation and technologies and GIS and systems and solutions, GIS is part of them, is, is in my view, meant to improve the day-to-day tasks or the project delivery of the workforce. So yes, it is a client requirement, and yes, there are compliance uh, requirements and needs, and absolutely, this is great to see because this means that the client recognizes the value and they will be able to do something with the data that we're handing over to them. 
But at the same time, what is really important for me and what we are looking to do as Scans is to make sure that we are always, when we are using and deploying GIS on the projects, we are improving our productivity, we are improving our safety, we are improving our sustainability and environmental goals and, and aspirations. Of course, always delivering against client requirements and make sure that, that we have this, this high quality. But at the same time, uh, we are empowering our workforce to work, as I said, uh, faster, better, safer, and um, with higher uh, quality. Yeah, there's one thing that uh, we've got some some experience in. Uh, if the team don't get benefit or value from the tool, they're not going to use it. So, uh, yeah, totally agree from that point of view. Jason, no, no matter how many requirements are there. Yeah, yeah. George, George, first of all, mate, I I want to I want to uh, just congratulate you and commend your uh, dedication to do. Uh, PhD, you know, doing a PhD has like two parts to it in, in my view with my brother and his partner and stuff doing them that like, there's the problem solving side that you mentioned, which is like researching and studying and finding and solving a problem. Then there's a second half, which you have to like document it and communicate it to someone else. And I find that like myself, I really love the problem solving piece, but I'm, I like, I'm terrible. I don't have the patience to do the, like the documenting side of it i like think it's a character flaw of myself so for someone that actually does have the the dedication and patience to do that i i commend oh, thank wholeheartedly. you Jason. back to like a question around uh a construction and gis one of the things that i've noticed from interacting with lots and lots of projects is this sort of trend where certain projects are like a BIM project and certain projects are a GIS project and some projects, the really big ones are like a bit of both and then some are not. And uh, that could be within the same contractor. Usually it's to do with like size of project and how much, you know, whether it's a hard dollar contract versus, you know, like a fixed price contract versus an alliance. Do you see that? Do you see that across the the business, or or there in the UK? And and I guess what goes into making the decision about what's the sort of stack of tools that would suit a type of project? No, it's a really good question, Jason. So, the the the, the argument or the question BIM or GIS, it's it's something yeah. I had I faced very early on in my career. For for, for the record, I'm very passionate about both BIM and GIS, I consider them fundamental information streams um, for the construction industry. But at the same time, my answer to the BIM or GIS has always been BIM and GIS. But before we jump into this, it's um, understanding and, and clarifying that these are two separate entities, domains, worlds, professions. They are both linked with a built environment, obviously, and the answer we like to be. The analogy I like to make is that Maybe you should think of BIM like an island and GIS, the world that encompasses this island in, in, in this. So, so from construction terminology, I guess, you know, what BIM is, is, is capturing the micro detail of the particular asset in question, as opposed to GIS, which is capturing the geospatial context and all the interfaces and relationships of this asset with the rest of the world. That can be anything from environment, from supply chain and logistics, from uh, temporary work engineering, you know, th th there are lots of interfaces that, that need to be managed. So there are two different things, but at the end of the day, as you said, it, it also it depends on a number of things. It depends on the initial scope of works. 
right? And what is the project that we are talking about? We see amplified value when, when we are talking about long linear infrastructure projects, where GIS plays a pivotal role in managing all these interfaces. Uh, if it is a particular asset, uh, like if it's simply, you know, simply, I don't want to say simply, but it's installation of a bridge somewhere, um, then maybe there might be geosp limited geospatial requirements. It's likely that you will not need to do GIS. Maybe you can so you can do the, the BIM processes and, and you will be okay uh, with that. So it depends on the scope of works. It depends on the type of the project. Another uh, sort of challenge or example we are seeing a lot nowadays is how GIS fits into vertical construction because I'm talking a lot about linear, long linear infrastructure projects where the value is, is given and continuously highlighted. But what about vertical construction? So I guess at the end of the day is to, to understand GIS or BIM, but for me, it's like, oh, it's GIS and BIM, is to, to be use case driven. So start from the end, what it is that you want to achieve. Like you have your scope of works, you have your key outcomes that you want to achieve and then work backwards. Rather than trying to fit technologies and processes and domains into, into a problem, you need to let the problem highlight the right use of, of processes and technologies and data that you need to use uh, to solve this. Right. And so where, does it yeah, does yeah. it does it become like an active decision as part of like the tendering of a project? Okay, so this is this project we're gonna use it. And then does that even like come into the you know the overhead, the like the IT overhead for the project? Like is it is it thought about right up front that this is gonna be a BIM project or this is gonna be a both project or is, is that something you make an active decision on? Typically it is, yes, because we are looking into the client requirements, uh, Jason, and nowadays there are uh, both BIM and GIS requirements. So almost naturally we're moving into a BIM and GIS space. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, as part of what is called information uh, exchange requirements. And then at this time, at the time of tender, award-winning requirements, scope of works, uh, opportunities, you know, wh what are the use cases and solutions that we have internally on top of the client requirements, right? If we have a GIS solution to manage our health and safety risks better, then this is something we offer as a minimum, regardless, mm -hmm. because we've documented the efficiencies and the benefits this will bring in, in, mm -hmm. in, in the long term. So to answer this question, I think there is a really strong collaboration piece between the uh, digital teams that needs to be present in every company. And I've heard your post podcast, you continuously talk about collaboration between the uh, construction and commercial team, right? Uh, I want to-, to All stress, like they're all. Yeah, I, I want to stress the importance of collaboration also between the digital teams, but also between the digital teams and the people and the teams that are delivering this project. And, and the BIM and GIS bit really one enhances the other and we've seen this uh, adopted actually by our uh, project teams and commented that we are not, that we are having an integrated approach rather than one way or the other, because it fundamentally is different. Even though they have the word information in it, fundamentally they are two different capabilities. Yeah, so the, actually I might skip, I was, was gonna ask one, something you said a couple of minutes ago triggered something that I was gonna ask a question on, but what you just said, I really like to like to double click on which is like another trend that I see interacting with lots of projects is a gap or not a big gap, but like 
big variance in how the construction team and the digital team interact from company to company and from project to project. I guess on some projects, I could describe it as, let's use the, let's stick with GIS. If the construction team wanted something that was location-based that existed in their GIS system, in, in some projects, they, the, the construction team are empowered. They have the tools, they go get it, it's done. They know how to do it. In others, like they email the GIS person and that person does it for them. And it's like, you've just basically.
uh, distinct information streams, but the point in time, for me, that is the biggest question. When is the right time to integrate, right? Depending on where you are at the project lifecycle, what you want to achieve in the end, because it can be quite a, an expensive process to integrate. Then we form a third entity. I like to call it GeoBeam uh, nowadays. It will be named something else probably when it's official, uh, or formal by uh, m far more important people than uh, than me. Um, no, it's probably some 19-year-old sat in their basement that will probably do it, and I'll probably take your GeoBeam and... Yeah. And I will still, I will still be working. No, no credits, right? <laughs> and uh, the, the, we create a, a third entity that is meant to be an integrated version of, 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 of Geospatial and BIM. If you think about it, like what GeoBeam is supposed to be doing or is doing, is capturing the built environment holistically from every angle. Everything that we see nowadays, you know, when we're on a project outside on site can be described either through a geospatial information stream or through a building mo information modeling. Is it happening always? No. And there are lots of limitations and problem challenges to overcome, but this is where it can be. And on, on, on top of that, if you think about um, managing assets in scale, right, which a lot of our customers are, are focused on, it, it's really challenging to achieve this without um, drawing the, the benefits of both um, information domains. Do you, to maybe push back on the third space idea from from a an uneducated observer's perspective, what it looks like from a technology perspective is that um, that the bigger players in the GIS space are looking to try and consume some of the workflows and things that you would BIM. And then maybe a little bit of the other way from the, the BIM team. Like I know BIM is a lot more than like just 3D on top of like GIS or 2D. There's a there's a lot of functionality coming that kind of looks like the GIS is trying to eat the BIM. Uh, would you would you say that's true or that's just me reading uh into something that's not there? It it, 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 it is true. You see a lot of efforts from from the software vendors to 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 connect the two, and depending what uh, origins each software vendor has, like are they coming from the BIM space or they're coming from GIS space, they present it as GIS is consuming BIM, or the other best, or the other ones presenting as BIM is consuming GIS. So there, there's this bit fun of politics between uh, software software vendors remaining competitive and all this kind of good stuff. That that is definitely uh, the case. Uh, for me, what I would really like to, my view on this and something that I've been very hopeful, uh, I've been very lucky to have helped create in, in Scan's case, the collaboration between the teams. It's important to not let the competitiveness of the software vendors drive competitiveness in the teams in its organization. Because everyone has a different goal, right? The, so the software vendors, they want to sell their software and they want to remain competitive. But at the end of the day, the, the digital teams and the project teams want to deliver the project successfully. This is, this is, a, this is a, a joint goal. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean we need to do we care about, you know, what are the interests of, 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 of the software vendor. So why would we cascade down the competitiveness in that? That's one. And the second one is how also the technology can influence. And in my opinion, it, it's only right to influence to an extent uh, international standards. 
right? Be information management standards, because eventually we need to use and adhere to these information management standards. Technology has a key role to play in that 100%, but we need to make sure that, again, standards address problems and not, not, not uh, the technology we want to buy or is available nowadays because of, um, you know, KPIs, really. You know, you're not predicting the that like someone like ArcJS changes their name to ArcGeoBim or something I like that. It's coming. Ezri does have a a, a a product that is called ArcGIS ArcGIS GeoBim. And, oh, they take, oh, okay. oh, yeah, yeah, they, they, they do. It's it's already it's already happening, uh, Jason. Uh, which is, um, I guess, uh, I, I I do commend these approaches wherever they're coming from because it is an integration effort. However, I want, again, to, to, to echo that um, it's important to make an integration effort that solves a problem rather than make an integration effort because it's it's competitive and we, need, and we need to be, get, be getting in this space and so on and so forth because it will not be used, right, at the end of the day. Um, Carlos, I have one more question if I can sneak it in before you cut me off. Yeah, got it. <laughs> George, uh, point clouds. Yeah. Are you, yeah, are you using them? Where do you see them? Uh, where do you see the use and where do you see that going, uh, going forward? I love, that's a great, a really nice, a really good question, Jason, because point clouds, in my view, is part of the geospatial sciences and, and the data that we're talking, that location data we're talking earlier, right? So it's important for people to understand that. It's not just about the system, it's all about, it's about all the different data capture techniques to provide to feed the system with information. So point clouds is something we're really interested in. I consider them a, a huge uh, asset uh, for construction projects, not just during design and construction, but also during asset management as well with its regular inspections. We've seen a lot of examples nowadays, uh, but we are using them a lot um, within Skanska, and we are using point clouds. We are using outcomes of processed point clouds, such as 3D meshes or ortho mosaics. And and one of the biggest for me opportunities with point clouds is firstly how easy it is to collect data at scale, how easy and and quick it is to collect data at scale. And the second one is how you can start utilizing emerging technologies or emerged technologies nowadays, machine learning and all these kind cool AI stuff to start doing feature extraction and object extraction from point clouds, which in construction terms, this means better management and capture of productivity on site, for example, by monitoring volumes of earthworks and stockpiles, as an example, seeing line works and what has been accomplished within a particular day of works, compare it with your the information you're getting from your site diaries and have better control over your productivity. Definitely a lot of this space then we also see point clouds and reality capture and that in particular creating very photorealistic and impressive 3D visualization tools that when when you share these with the project teams, it is likely that they will lead to identification of issues, health and safety issues or hazards that may have not been picked up earlier or might be harder to view in a 2D model or in a 3D model, whatever this might be. And essentially consider, you know, what they say is like, uh, I don't mean to undersell it by any chance, but whether you say one picture equals thousand words, sometimes think about having an up-to-date 3D uh, photorealistic view of your site, how a powerful conversation enabler can it be with different 
stakeholders. BIM was founded on the idea of collaboration. So we need to start promoting mm -hmm. this collaboration more and more with, with the tattoos and on the, on the side, you know, what, what you have been doing actually as well as, as, as a company uh, with, with the integration of geospatial functionality uh, on, on your systems. We actually see examples from our projects where uh, this is driving much better collaboration between a number of teams simply because it makes uh, the data so much more easily accessible, demystifies what is geospatial and where we're doing something. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge asset. Awesome. I could, uh, I could easily go on for another half an hour, George, uh, but we are going to have to cut off there. Uh, likewise. Obviously. Thank you very much <laughs> for taking the time out of your busy schedule and chatting with us today. Uh, that was really interesting. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, it was thank a pleasure. You, it was a pleasure. Very nice to see you guys. And, and thank you for the invite.